Anna here. Did you know I have another podcast? And did you know it's all about failure? Well, at this point, you'd have to answer yes to both of those questions because I just told you. But my other show isn't just about failure. It's about failing your way to success. Yes, success. Because the most successful people are often just the people who've gotten up the most times after their failures. Don't believe me? Go download Fail Your Way to Success wherever you get your podcasts or go to failyourway.com for more info. Now back to the show. Your book's journey isn't over after it's been launched. Nope, it's got a whole lifetime ahead of itself. And so while I'm leading you through writing and launching a best-selling book, I'm also showing you how to make that book work for you for the rest of your career and your life. Welcome to Launch Your Book with Anna David. Hi there. Welcome to Launch Your Book with Anna David. I am your host, Anna David. Every week I talk to best-selling authors and the world's most successful entrepreneurs about how they launched their books and how their books took them to the next level. And today I have a guest who, um, I go on and on about this in the episode, but he wrote a book that genuinely shocked me because I'd never heard of it. I'd never heard of him. He literally handed it to me at a party girl book signing and my expectations were not super high. And it's one of the most brilliant books I've ever read. And so I immediately said, please come on my podcast. And then I started to talk to him more about what his mission is. And it's incredibly inspiring. And he's incredibly inspiring. And his book is incredibly inspiring. And Seth Godin blurbed it. So in this episode, we get into why I'm so moved by him and his story and how he got Seth Godin to blurb it. So we've got heart, we've got soul, and we've got marketing. And you can get the show notes by going to LegacyLaunchpadPub.com slash blog slash Ed, because his name is Ed Cressy. So here we're going. And um, thank you, Ed, for doing this. Thank you, and it's my pleasure to be here. I'm excited, and and this is an unusual situation because I will tell you, I can't tell you how many people come to me and say, hey, Anna, here's my book, and um, their books are not good. And so that is, I, and I hate to say this to anybody who wants to send me a book, but that is the experience. Um, oftentimes, and it's not because they're not brilliant people. It's just that they don't have, I think the difference between a a great writer and a mediocre writer is not just talent, but experience. Like, have you put in your 10,000 hours and do you write every day, all all day? I'm going to guess you, even in your crazy years, you've been writing a very long time. I packed a lot of writing into the past 14 years. I've been uh, been in recovery for 14 years. My dream since I was a little kid was to be a writer. I saw, I derailed my dream through uh, through a lot of uh, drug addiction through, through 20 years of drug addiction. Yet when I got into recovery in 2007, Anna, you are exactly right. I put in many many hours. Uh, wrote a lot of words, and uh, your your kind words mean so much to me. You uh, and your work have been a major positive influence on my writing career and my recovery. So I'm so grateful for uh, the 
opportunity to be here to talk to you. That means so much because, Ed, I am not blowing smoke. You're one of the best writers I've ever read. And let me tell you how little I expected that from. OK, so here's here's, you know, I was doing these uh, these sessions for Mobilize for Ryan Hampton's, um, you know, for the, the sessions before the actual event. And you showed up. I think you were at all of them. You were definitely at two of them. Um, yes. And you were smiling and, you know, for anybody who does, anybody who wants to get somebody's attention, never underestimate how much showing up and being fantastic people notice. So I noticed that, I believe you asked the question. I'm not, I don't even actually remember that part, but you emailed me afterwards and said, that was so great. Thank you so much. So I remembered your name. And then when I went to do the signing at the event, what you did is you were the very last person in line and you came up and you said, you know, I- I'm Ed, we met over the internet or whatever. And, and this is my book and I've signed it for you, which very much got my attention as well. And I, I, and I just, you know, Ryan and I have talked about this. Your kindness just emanates from you. You just scream somebody uh, that I, I want to help in any way I can. So then, sorry, I'm making this all about me. I go back to my room and the next day I'm packing and I very callously am like, I don't really have room for this book. Oh, well, you know, who knows? And then I'm like, no, he was so great. And I, and I told you this, I do not think the cover and the title do justice at all. So, so, and, and this is why it's really important to, to, to get that to right. Cause I almost left this magnificent book in Vegas. So I take it back and I'm like, yeah, you know, I'll read this. You know, he was so sweet. And I just was blown away from the first two pages. So anybody, uh, it's called My Addiction and Recovery. In law, as long as I don't talk Ed out of changing the title, that is what it's called. Is it a, it's available everywhere or not, not just Amazon? Where can people get it? It's available where books are sold. Yes, yep. I think most people get it through Amazon. And the other thing is that your story is freaking intense. And for me to say that after 21 years of meetings, means a lot. Um, it's not that I've never heard a story that bad, but it's intense. So, so let's tell people what your addiction was like. My addiction, well, Anna, first, thank you. I can't thank you enough for your very kind words. It's uh, inc- incredibly high praise coming, coming from you. Thank you. Meaning. As, far as, uh, as far as what my addiction was like, I, I grew up in, uh, in very much idyllic settings in Massachusetts, had most of uh, what a kid could want provided to me. Like I mentioned before, my childhood dream was to be an author. I always loved the escape into fantasy worlds that books provided. It was like a, a caricature because I would, as a little kid, I would go to the library, carry home stacks of books almost too high to see over. <laughs> right, so I wanted to be a writer, but I wanted to be the kind of writer where there was a Manhattan bookstore with a line of autograph seekers stretching around the corner and sitting next to me was Fred Easton Ellis and uh, Tama Janowitz on the other side of me. And then I wanted to, after that, go up to a hotel suite and shoot heroin with fashion models in a waterbed the size of a boxing ring. You know, that, that was my, that was what I wanted from, from a writing uh, career. I derailed my aspirations and my dream to be a writer through 20 years of devastating addiction to cocaine, 
alcohol, ecstasy, final four, f- finally for 11 years, methamphetamine. I threw away a college career. I threw away a professional career with, uh, in biotech. I'd worked for Stanford University at one point. I'd owned a home. I had a beautiful dog, many loving relationships. Ended up throwing all that away, spending years in psychosis, destitution, incarceration, brief periods in homeless shelters. My life was about hearing disembodied voices that had been, I believe, sent by the FBI because I was at the epicenter of a vast 9-11 conspiracy because I'd inadvertently befriended one of the hijackers when I was in Bangkok. I mean, I could go on and on and on. The point is, Anna, I took a lot of good opportunities in life, threw all of them away, never pursued my dream of being an author until fortunately in 2007, thanks to God, thanks to remarkable women and men who inspired me and showed me a path to recovery. In 2007, I got clean, pursued my dream of being a writer, and ultimately uh, was able to launch my book in April 2020. Um, yeah, so, so let's talk about the psychosis, because what's amazing about it is it's portrayed so well in the book. And what you portray it in a way where it, it, it's rare, I think, that somebody can can talk about, uh, describe scenarios as if they're happening when they're not because you are the person writing it. I, I'm not articulating this well, but this was you, you know, and, and I think people talk about drugs and they're like, yeah, I was crazy. I was hearing voices. I thought the cops were outside, whatever. This was years and years of these voices ruling your existence and you going and reporting this craziness to two people and really just you, you believed this every second of every day, right? Absolutely. It was the the thing about psychosis is that when we're in psychosis, we don't think we're hearing voices. We are hearing those voices. We don't think there might be a conspiracy. We believe that there are conspiracies against us. I used to tear apart my electronics looking for hidden cameras and surveillance devices. I would smash holes in my drywall looking for uh, people spying on me. There were invisible planes following me, people stalking me, searching my, my trash cans outside of my home. This was incredibly real to me. It was, uh, it lasted for, and like you say, I would show up at the FBI offices, high on meth, submitting documentation, you know, dear FBI, please stop following me. Please end the conspiracy. I want to, I was asking for help. And it just, it, it was so, I, I immersed myself in the psychosis. It sort of had a purpose. If yeah. you think back to my, my childhood, or when I think back to my childhood, that kid coming out of the library with the stacks of books, who was a bullied kid who felt ostracized the way I felt, the escape into a fantasy world that, the books provided and later that my, my psychosis provided, it, it had what to me in a twisted way was a legitimate purpose. My psychosis and the accompanying drug addiction, they allowed me to, to live that life in which no longer was I a person who failed at my dream of becoming an author. No longer was I simply a person who allowed myself to sink into addiction and destitution. Now all of a sudden in my mind, 
wow, I'm Ed, I'm at the center of this vast FBI, CIA conspiracy that, uh, you know, that uh, I, I hold the, the secret to uh, the 9-11, whatever. So the psychosis transformed me into this twistedly heroic person in my mind, in my mind. And that's why the psychosis and the addiction was so hard to break for so long. So let's talk about, so, so you'd always wanted to be a writer. You start writing this book. How did you, and Jesse Krieger was a guest on this podcast. And so you worked with his company. How did that all come about? That came about through hours and hours and hours of a lot of work. I wrote thousands of pages. I'd written several books before the before the, the book that you and I are talking about now, I wrote screenplays, I wrote short stories, I wrote articles. Almost none of it will anybody ever read. <laughs> I, uh, no one will read almost all of what I wrote. The point is, through this incredibly hard work, through spending all these hours writing, I got to a point where I felt confident enough in my own work that it could bring value to an audience. I thought back to the remarkable women and men who inspired me through their writing. And I know you and I have talked about this, but when I got, uh, when I first got clean, your book with Tom Sizemore had just come out. And Tom Sizemore, for those who don't know, is a, a very, uh, very successful actor who sunk into a meth addiction and incarceration, uh, similar to, to me and similar to many others. Your book and, uh, and Tom's story inspired me that, hey, maybe my own story could help other people the way you and Tom told his story and helped me. I read uh, Mary Carr, who Anne, I know you're familiar with. I read, um, I read Elizabeth Wurzel, who unfortunately is no longer with us. I read William Colt Moyers, uh, just you know, so many authors who put their stories down on paper and who inspired me to turn my own life around, mm -hmm. to overcome addiction, to overcome my fear, to, uh, to overcome my mental health challenges. And I just wanted so much to, to give at least some small part uh, to, or to, to play at least some small role in helping others the way so many others helped me. That, that's how I was able to develop the fortitude and the discipline and the courage to put my story down into a book. Yeah. And that's what I tell people in a way, if you have survived anything and come out on the other side, you actually owe it. If you read a book when you were struggling that helped you and you have an inkling that you want to write your story, you owe it to pay it forward. And I, it's, it's funny. No one has ever, they, they, people talk to me about books that, that I've written that did that. No one's ever come up to me and said it was the Tom Sizemore book, which is interesting because that was just such a hellish experience to write. I mean, my word. And um, I'm very grateful. It was a New York Times bestseller. I'm grateful that it inspired you, but I could, I would, I would wish that experience on a nobody. Um, and, but so, so you write this book in a sense, it takes over a decade. Yes. That, that's fair to say. I wrote 26 drafts of this book. Not, not every draft is beginning to end. Some of them where I would just go through a draft and, and make changes, but 26 drafts. I wish, I wish Anne, I had had your memoir uh, cheat sheet yeah. before I started. I would have maybe written, you know, only 13 or 10 drafts, but uh, <laughs> it's, you know, it's so important when you, when you, I'm sorry about the struggle uh, and the experience of, of writing Tom Sizemore's book. I would venture to say, Anna, that even back then, at somewhere you knew there was an Ed Cressy out there. 
and that your work in, in the struggles you went through to, to tell Tom's story, to write your book, you, you knew at some level it was going to help someone like me, which it, it did. It very much did. And, and you, among uh, many others, inspired me to tell my story, which goes out and helps incarcerated people, which goes out and helps family members. My story helps uh, other people struggling with addiction. So to anyone listening, the, the writing process is, is very, very difficult. What's that famous quote about how, you know, it's a tongue-in-cheek quote. It's more well, tongue-in-cheeks, maybe not to write. But the quote is, you know, writing is easy. All you do is sit in front of the keyboard and bleed. Bleed, yeah. Right? You open your veins. and uh, So writing's a, a very difficult process. If we don't have some higher purpose, if we don't have some higher calling, if we're not being in service to others or, or at least in service to ourselves to overcome fear and, and improve ourselves or have that spiritual connection, it's going to be very, very difficult. To, to really achieve our dreams. As you know, we were talking about just a few minutes ago, when I was into you know, fashion, when, when I was writing because I wanted to meet fashion models and meet you know, Brett Easton Ellis and, and the rest of it, I, I never even came close to pursuing my dream, much less achieving it. Yet when I began writing to be in service to others, that's when I could pursue my dream. That's when I could put forth the discipline and the perseverance. And that's, I think, so important to anyone who sets out to achieve any kind of dream. You know, when, when, we're, when we're pursuing our dream, we're, we're asking the universe to make our dreams come true. The universe is asking us, well, okay, so you know, what are you going to do? What, what are you going to do for it? And, and for many of us, Anna, your experience with the Tom Sizemore book, my experience writing my book, Probably anyone who's ever written a book or, or pursued, uh, pursued a, a process of, of making a dream come true understands, you know, we, we got to have that perseverance. We got to have that discipline. And, and that comes from being of service to others. Not to be a contrarian and not to be so annoying, but I don't find writing a book difficult at all. I, to me, it is my pleasure. It is my release. It is my treat to myself. And I get that that's unusual, but it's like, I find remembering an address, anything to do with numbers, incredibly difficult. So we all have what, what we, so, so if anybody's like, well, I'm writing and it's not that it's not the process he's describing. It's different for all of us. It really, really is writing the Tom Sizemore book was difficult because he was so incredibly abusive, but the actual putting the words on paper, I, I love it. So, so that, that's just my experience. So it's so obnoxious that I said that, but it's true. So, and so you went and you researched, how can I do this? You didn't choose to put it out yourself and yet you didn't choose to seek uh, traditional publishing. So tell me about that. I, ch- I, uh, I, sp- I hired an editor. A great editor, which I would recommend to, to anyone series. The, the editor made my book a, a lot better than it would have been otherwise. I looked into the differences between traditional publishing, uh, self-publishing, and what I believe we think of as hybrid publishing, which is what Jesse Krieger does and ultimately what I went with. I, I thought that, you know, I, I looked back or I, I thought about how I wanted to look back upon my life. What do I want to have looked what do I want to look back upon? And it will be having achieved my dream or at least having tried as, as hard as I can to achieve my dream. That's why I was, that, that's why I put forth the effort and that's why I spent the money. That's why I pursued working with uh, a publisher to, to really make my book as good as it can be 
to make my book as much in service as it can be. The process was, it, it was one of really forsaking working as an individual, which is what I, I liked to do. I like to be that individual up before dawn with my cup of strong coffee, putting the words on a page, shifting from that to working as part of a team. My publisher and I, my publisher, the, the people that work within my publishing group and I and the editors and uh, the persons who I donate my book to now, it's, it's, I'm part of a team. Yeah. For me, it was a trade because I, I had so much ownership around my book and the, the, the fear I overcame to write my book. It was a process of really letting go of some of, of a lot of what I thought my book should be and what I wanted my career to be so that the book could ultimately help more people. And, and let's face it, be a much better book. Yes. And I think that's crucial for anybody listening. Malcolm Gladwell has, has an editor. Mary Carr has an editor. Uh, we, you, you can't not have one. And I do think a team is going to do a much better job. It is an absolute pain in the ass to publish a book. It, you know, the moving parts and to do it right and to get all the different parts right. And, and even then you don't get all the different parts right. I just re-released Party Girl. I didn't get all the different parts right because you learn every time. So at least go to Go get help from people who have had the experience of learning every time, multiple times. So, so you decided you were going to, you donate all the proceeds to prisons, right? I donate hundred percent of the proceeds. Uh, what happened was it, it's so important to have a plan for a book launch. This is what I learned because I didn't have a plan. I had a very lim limited plan. And looking back, I, I wish I had put a, a, a more, a solid plan in place what happened with me was that I'd spent about five years working for organizations that serve incarcerated persons and persons who are, have been released from incarceration. The organizations I was a part of mostly, uh, mostly train entrepreneurism and employment skills for people who are or were incarcerated. I spent a chunk of time going into maximum security prisons in California, being a volunteer coach, one of those prisons was Pelican Bay, which is considered the, th this is a Pelican Bay houses men who are, have been labeled by society as being among the very worst of the very worst. These are men who've been convicted of violent crimes, murder in many cases, who are affiliated with street gangs and prison gangs. Yet Anna, the men I've worked with, the men who applied themselves, even though they're in maximum security prisons, they're dedicating themselves to life transformations, to life turnarounds. These men are some of the most beautiful human beings I've ever met. Mm -hmm. And this applies to women I've worked with in San Francisco County Jail when I served as a volunteer there. How it ended up tying into my book launch was uh, in April 2020, when my book launched, we were just at the beginning point of the pandemic, the prisons were on lockdown. A lot of the correctional facilities were on lockdown. I had just volunteered in Pelican Bay, I think in February of 2020. I thought, you know what? It would be a nice thing to donate some copies of my book to the men I worked with in Pelican Bay. We made photocopies. They wouldn't even allow the, the regular paperback copy because of uh, prison regulations. We ended up making photocopies of, I think, about 100 books sent them to Pelican Bay. The feeling was so amazing. 
the feeling of having done something to help these incarcerated men the way they helped me by sharing their stories with me, by allowing me to be their coach. That feeling got me to a point where, and I don't even try to sell my book anymore. I'm not even putting it out there to the quote unquote regular reading audience. My, almost my entire focus is on donating my books to correctional facilities. Our goal is to get a book into every correctional facility in the United States. We are in, I think, 110 facilities in nine or 10 states. My book's been approved at the state level in California, New York, Vermont, Massachusetts. I think we're serving 130,000 incarcerated persons. That's amazing. It is. And in no way does it say that Ed Cressy is some great person. Far from it. You know, I, I, when I look back and one of the remarkable things these incarcerated persons taught me is that had I not been born with the unfair advantages that society hands a privileged white male like me, let's face it. I mean, this is my own lived experience. I got unfair advantages from being a privileged white male. Had that not been the case, and I would be in Pelican Bay right now and not as a volunteer or someplace like it. Although these things sound obvious to say, my lived experience is such that these are, as silly as it sounds, these are so, sort of revelations to me about the unfair advantage that society gave me. All of this kind of conspired to point my life at, or, or to convince me that my life's direction has got to be not on selling my book to the public, but on getting it behind the walls of prisons and jails so that our sisters and brothers who are incarcerated and dedicated to turning their own lives around they can have my book as at least some small resource in addition to the other resources that are out there so that the, they can have the same advantages that someone like me has, or at least as close to it as possible. Well, here's the thing. I, I guess that's obvious, but 0.0001% of white privileged males would ever act on that, even if they realized it. So maybe the epiphany is clear but the action is, is so rare that I'm going to say in my 51 years, I've never really seen it. I've never seen it to this level. And I know how genuine you are about it. I find it just genuinely moving. So um, what I would hope is that then, you know, Oprah could hear about it so that accidentally and not because it was your goal, it could become the mammoth bestseller. That would just be the pure beauty. But what I can tell is that it's enough for you without that, which is pretty it, incredible. It is. Uh, uh, thank you. It's, it's incredible. It's incredible to go from a point of extreme selfishness where I was at wanting to be a famous rich author for no other reason than I wanted to sell that I selfishly wanted uh, the trappings of success to go from there to being an author who helps people in, in at least in what I hope is at least some small way. It's remarkable. It's all in service to God, to the divine mother, to that great spirit that I was taught to believe in through the 12 steps and, and elsewhere and through, uh, through so many remarkable women and men, again, who put their stories on paper or who told their stories in various fashions. I'm just trying to pass along some, uh, some of the good that was so selflessly passed along to me. So let's talk about, you know, to switch to Seth Godin. So Seth Godin, I would imagine anybody listening to this podcast knows who he is. He is, he is like the original marketer. 
Um, I hear amazing things about him, but being able to get a blurb from him, especially when a lot of people come to me and say, how do I get a blurb from a famous person? How did that happen? Seth Godin is a remarkable man in many respects. To me, what sets him apart even more than the rest of the incredible things he's accomplished in his life is his dedication to serving incarcerated people. Seth was and still is, I believe, a mentor to an incredible woman named Catherine Hoke. Catherine left a successful career in venture capital to serve incarcerated people. Catherine launched a nonprofit and now she's got another organization going. And those, when I mentioned I would volunteer for organizations that serve the incarcerated, it was Catherine Hoke who was really the leader and who is the leader in, in these organizations. Seth mentored Catherine. Among other, among other forms of support, we got people like Sheryl Sandberg from Facebook, um, Jeff Weiner, the CEO of LinkedIn, and some others invited Catherine and the Five Ventures and Seth Godin and a very fortunate group of people, including me, to come to their offices. So all of a sudden, here I am one day, and I should say, you know, I had left, previously I left a six-figure salary in biotech because I wanted to do something to be of service. The, the people, and again, it's not because I'm a great person, it's because of the inspiration passed along to me. Uh, the point is, one day I find myself in a room with Cheryl Sandberg, Seth Godin, Catherine Hoke, and uh, a number of formerly incarcerated people who, who Cheryl and, and Seth and the others have been so kind to, uh, to, to, to speak with. Uh, soon after that, I was on a van going to, I think, LinkedIn or somewhere to meet the, the CEO of LinkedIn. Seth Godin was sitting right behind me. I turned around. I said, I fumbled some words, you know, hey, Seth, uh, I want to write a book, you know, writer, office, something, something like that. And I don't even remember what Seth said. I, I couldn't tell you one, any of the words he said, but Seth kind of implanted an idea in my head. He conveyed a vision. It was almost telepathic. The very next day I started, I got up at four in the morning, I started writing my book. The, a few years after that, after when my book was about to launch, Catherine Hoke was kind enough to send a, a little video that I recorded for Seth, asking him if he would recommend, if he would recommend my book, which, which Seth, uh, Seth, incredibly, he went ahead and did that. And now he's got, I've got the blurb from Seth Godin. Still to this day, Seth allows me to participate in his seminars. I did a, a recent seminar with him where I learned how to better serve the incarcerated population by donating my book. I think for your audience, Anna, it's so important if we're going to be of service to really immerse ourselves in our service careers. For me, I spent five or, or six years in service to incarcerated people. That's how I got to meet Seth Godin. That's how I got to have that conversation with Seth Godin. Now, I'm not saying you necessarily have to dedicate five or six years of your life to getting a single blurb for your book. The point is, when, when your heart, when your soul, when your spirit are aligned towards service to others, then the universe kind of makes things happen for you. For me, what happened was I got that blurb for Seth Godin, from Seth Godin, and that really gives me the, that gives me confidence that gives me that euphoric feeling of, hey, you know, I can leave that six-figure salary job in order to pursue an uncertain path of being in service to incarcerated people, and it is going to fulfill me. 
it is going to help other people turn their lives around. It's a beautiful, remarkable feeling. And I think what's most remarkable about it is how many women and men are out there who support the same cause and who are along the similar service pathways, some of them being Seth Godin, some of them being Catherine Hoke, and of course, Anna, one of them being yourself. Let's be clear. I'm not going into prison. I'm not donating my book sales to that. That is, inc- I didn't know that about Seth Godin. I didn't know that about Sheryl Sandberg. And especially when Facebook is, you know, thought of as the ultimate evil, that's pretty incredible. Um, so what is next for you? What is your next book? Tell us about, I mean, I understand your life is about service, but what's your next book? Because I'm eagerly anticipating it. I know, I've, yeah, I'm thinking, you know, uh, the... There's still so much left to do with this book that I don't think too much of what a next book might be. Some of it, part of me, I'm thinking about starting a nonprofit Mm -hmm. so that, you know, there's a lot of amazing nonprofits out there that donate books to prisons. Thinking, you know, my nonprofit might focus on books written by formerly incarcerated people or currently incarcerated people because it's, uh, it's great to send books into prison I think what can be uh, meaningful on a different level is that idea of when you, uh, if you can see it, you can be it. Yeah. Right. If, if you can see it, you can be it. Meaning when an incarcerated person gets a book written by someone who was incarcerated, it's that much easier to, uh, to get inspired by that book. So I'm looking at possibly starting a nonprofit. Certainly I've got a, a long ways to go before reaching the goal of my book into every correctional facility we're reaching right now. I think we're reaching about six percent. When you run the numbers, uh, rough calculations, we're reaching about six percent of the incarcerated population with my book. So there's a long ways to go there. Possibly compiling a uh, a like a, a compilation of short stories or essays by incarcerated people into a book. You know, and it's, it's just so many ideas that, that bounce around in one's head that. Uh, I, I'm in a, a good place where there's a lot of support for the work I'm doing, that there are people who mentor me and guide me. The, I think for now, the, the future is just really achieving this goal, getting my book into all the correctional facilities. Well, I will say your talent is such that you do owe it to the world to write another book or to use your writing, you know, because ultimately writing talent comes from God anyway. This is what I've been thinking about lately is it's, it's, and Elizabeth Gilbert has this great Ted talk about, about how it comes from God or high power, whatever word makes people comfortable, but it's up to you to act on it. And this is, this is for everyone. So it's, it's almost like, I don't know that we should bow down at talent so much as we should bow down at the ability to get that talent out into the world now, but you're doing really important work with this. And I will say, um, what I know is that it's not that hard to start a nonprofit. I have told you this, but I think you should do it on your own. I think you should start your own. I will happily donate money and books to it. And I think a lot of people would feel that way. So that's, that's my advice for you. Thank you. Thank you so much. That's wonderful advice. And and when you say, that you're not going to donate books to prison or you're not going to go in prison. I, I would argue that, that you actually are doing that already because, you know, the goodwill you through your career and now are putting forth and, and have put forth, you, you know, you are creating ripple effects that influence me 
And then I go out there and I True. go to prisons and I do that. So, you know, you're I part of this. Uh, yeah, you're part of this cycle of, uh, of and it's all about life transformations. And I guess it, it's important to say that we don't uh, by any means condone uh, the actions taken by people who, like me, hurt others through our poor choices. We're not condoning the mistakes that people made that landed them in prison. We're, we're not condoning victimization, not, not by any means. What we're supporting is that dedication to life transformations. To, for a person like me or like others to say, hey, I made mistakes, I, did, I hurt people, yet I'm gonna take what the lessons life has taught me, I'm gonna turn my life around and going forward, I'm gonna do something good. That, that's what we support. Yes, absolutely. And, um, and you're inspiring me to, to get involved. And again, I'm not saying I'm, I'm selfless enough to go in there, but I am saying I would happily donate books and, um, and that's a lot for, you know, I'll be honest, my career did not, my, I did write Party Girl because I thought if I can save one person from feeling the way that I felt, then I will have done good. I think I then got trapped in the, in the publishing uh, rat race of sorts and absolutely forgot about being of service. And I think I'm getting back there again, which feels really, really good. So it's amazing that you've been there from the beginning and stayed there. Um, so that's pretty much it uh, for me. Is there anything else I didn't ask you that you want to share? I would only encourage you, if, if you're, you being the audience, if you're listening to this show, if your dream is to, to be a, an author or to, to serve people through telling your story, follow your dreams. Take the, whether you're like Anna and it's, uh, it's a fun, pleasurable, or maybe fun's not the word, but whether it's a uh, euphoric, it sounds like euphoric, Anna, the, is that the right word, the writing process fun. for you? I find yeah, it fun. fun. Fun, euphoric, or whether you're more like me and it's a struggle to overcome fear and self-doubt. If your dream is to be a writer, uh, follow the great spirit, follow the, the divine mother, you know, have a, whatever form of God or the universe you choose to believe in, if you even choose to believe in, uh, in spirituality, whatever it may be, you know, roll that into following your dreams. You can do it. If uh, Ed Cressy did it, if uh, others can do it, you can do it too. I believe in you. And please get this book. I cannot I cannot recommend it enough. I will have link a link to it in the show notes. But Ed, if people want to find you, where can they do that online? You, the best thing is to just uh, find me on Facebook. Uh, you just go on. My, my name's unique enough. E, uh, Ed Cressy, K-R-E-S-S-Y, or you'll see it in the show notes. Yeah, find me on Facebook uh, and uh, you know, send, me a, send me a message if uh, I can help you in any way. Certainly, if you or someone you know or love is struggling with addiction, and I can help, please don't hesitate to reach out to me. I will, uh, I'll do the best I can to help you. And give, give his book to whomever that is. Thank, um, you. thank you. Thank you, Ed. Thanks to you guys for listening. I will talk to you next week. Thanks for joining me this week on Launch Your Book with Anna David. For more info about the show, go to launchyourbookpod.com where you can get show notes and so much more. If you got anything out of this episode, I can't tell you how much I would appreciate a review. And don't forget, my company, Launchpad Publishing, is here to help you at any stage in your writing and publishing journey. Just go to launchpadpub.com for more, and be sure to tune in next week for next week's episode.